Life with diabetes has some highs and lows, but just like in a normal life, you can make choices which help to make your life easier, improve your health and well-being. In the Diabetic and Healthy podcast, we show you how to do just that. We're here to help you put your diabetes worries behind so that you can start enjoying life with a sky-high smile on your face. So let's meet our host for today's show. Here's Charlotte. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Diabetic and Healthy podcast. At the time of recording this, we are just about to come out of lockdown number two in the UK. Um, And I really hope that everyone has coped okay with this lockdown. It's obviously been shorter, but still been really, really tough for a lot of people. So I do hope everyone is good. I am super excited because the end of this lockdown means the gyms are reopening, which I am obviously super excited about. Um, Always gives me a big boost mentally and physically going to the gym. So very excited about that. This week's episode is all about nutrition for blood glucose management. Now, This was a question I popped in a Facebook group and um, everyone came back and said that this was the most popular choice. This is what people wanted to hear. So in this week's show, I'm speaking with Izzy. Those of you who aren't familiar with Izzy, Izzy is part of a diabetic and healthy team and she is a diabetes specialist dietitian. So she has come on board again today and is talking all about nutrition for good glucose management. She's going to tell me off because I just said good again there. You'll know exactly what I mean when the interview starts. So I will get started before I say anything else that I shouldn't say. (laughs) Uh, This is me and Izzy. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so this week we are going to be talking about nutrition for good glucose control, good blood sugars. Um, So this was a question that I popped in the Facebook group. We wanted to do something on nutrition and I think I asked if people would prefer nutrition for good blood sugars, nutrition for weight loss or nutrition for energy. Um, I think weight loss was quite a close second, so we might get onto that <laughs> next time. But for this one, uh, I have invited Izzy back to talk to us all about good nutrition for good blood sugars. That, oh, sorry, that was your <laughs> that, that was kind of your intro. <laughs> Thanks, Hi, Izzy. <laughs> I'm just going to nitpick for a start and say that uh, food for good blood glucose control, good, uh, what is good? It's a bit vague. So I'd say just, um, with, I'll be talking about how diet does affect your blood glucose, how you choose to use that, what your target is, how much time in target you are aiming for. That's down to you. Um, but yeah, trying to keep away from the good and bad side of things yes which affects us emotionally so many people i see with diabetes um some of the chats on the group on Mm -hmm. twitter and things like that is when people they get a good blood glucose reading in the morning and they're like yes i'm set off well for the day and if you get high blood glucose then it sets you off you're already feeling rubbish before the day starts you feel like you haven't achieved 
So hey, let's let's say nutrition for for balance <laughs> for balance blood sugars. <laughs> it makes me sound like really picky, and I'm I'm not people. No, but I say the same like things. It. I say the same things, and then it's just come out of my mouth. But yeah, yeah I say the same yeah. as it's not a good number or a bad number, but. Yeah, let's go with for helping to regulate our blood sugar levels. <laughs> and what's the betting at some point during this, I will say good or bad, because historically <laughs> that's just how we think of things and we've got to get ourselves out of that mindset yeah, yeah. and start new habits. So if I do, feel free to pick me up on it. That's the <laughs> only way we're going to get the new habits formed. So yeah, cool. Um, love this topic. Um, it's what I do for my job. So um, I'm happy to talk about it endlessly, but I will try to keep time <laughs> so that the audience doesn't nod off. So for food for blood glucose management, I would say the first thing is to remember that food isn't everything and there are the other basics to think about. So um, do you understand what your insulin does from a timescale point of view? Do you know when your insulin peaks, when you need to be taking your insulin? Um, are you checking for any lipos or lumps? Are you checking that your insulin has been stored correctly? It's in date, all those kinds of things. Um, because often people will think that it's their diet that's doing things, mm -hmm. um, whereas it could be some of those more mechanical issues. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few people who do take their insulin with their food when it's a type of insulin which perhaps would be better dosed 15 minutes before their food, which will give them a much better match and more steady blood glucose levels. So there's some real basics like that that link in with the diet. What you eat is one thing, but it's got to match with the insulin. So mm -hmm. it's checking the insulin side. So you can and really if it. anyone's unsure of that, because I do see people saying like, you know, this is my ratio. I know this is my ratio. I know I'm injecting the correct amount, but something's kind of a bit amiss. If it is a timing issue, who who can help them with that is it speak to their consultant is it speak to their diabetes nurse yeah i'd say your diabetes specialist nurse would be the best port of call for a first off um if not the insulin company websites are often quite informative about the specifics of that insulin if you wanted to do something more online um mm -hmm. that way but yeah i'd say diabetes specialist nurse is the first port of call to understand how far in advance or whatever your insulin actually needs to be taken for it to work at its best um, so yeah, so once you've sort of, you're fairly sure that you've checked all of those things so that you know that that's working as it should do. Um, the diet side, we've got a myriad of things we can do. <laughs> He's so, very excited um, by this, is he? <laughs> <laughs> you can I enjoy my job? <laughs> um, so carbohydrates is a biggie, so we'll have a bit of a chat about carbohydrates. Um, then glycemic index is also um, particularly important. Um, fats and proteins. Um, I saw a webinar last night, so um, just got some even more up-to-date information on that, which is Yay. great. So I'd love to pass that on to you guys. Um, and then there's yeah, timings and the so the so psychological <laughs> and social psychosocial um, side of food as well to bear in mind. Um, so we can chat about all those things and mix some other things in as well. Um, and not forgetting that blood glucose control isn't the be all and end all because you are a person with a whole body and we want to make sure we're looking after that whole body as well, not just the blood glucose bits. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm going to be talking about, I'm assuming you're happy to take that in the context of a healthy, balanced diet. 
if you want me to talk about that as well, I'm happy to, but we probably might need another session for it. Yeah, we can. Um, so just we can yep. do another one. Lots <laughs> of messages on you guys. If you're watching this and you want a bit more on the healthy balanced diet side of things, happy to talk about that. Let's know. Um, so for type one diabetes, blood glucose management, a lot of it hinges on the carbs because carbs are the primary route for blood glucose appearing in your system. Quite literally, the more carbs you eat, the more your blood glucose level will go up and therefore the more insulin you need to counter it. So if you have diabetes and you are not aware and not feeling confident about what carbs are and how to count them and assess them, so that's something to get in touch with your healthcare team and ask for. There should be services available for you um, and so get in touch and ask for those. Because I'm guessing there is all still, although I'm sure there much uh much more in depth now than when i was first diagnosed but there's still the kind of carb counting courses and and things like that available yep so there's um in the uk so the main ones are daphne and bertie um and they can be available online as well or they will be available provided in person possibly depending on covid situation um by your local team i can't say for other countries i don't know what your systems are out there but again there is online courses available um, so understanding which foods you're eating are carbohydrate and how to assess how much carbohydrate is in that food is going to be one of the most important things and that's where matching that through your insulin to carb ratio is going to be really vital so diet wise it's feeling comfortable and confident with that and it's knowing as well that your carb the insulin ratio might change, might change during the day, and it will definitely change during your lifetime. So if you've been given a dose or a ratio to use, and you've been using it for years, and things are starting to look a bit different on your blood glucose profile, but you're sure you're using the right ratio, you're sure you're counting your carbs correctly, then it might just be time for that ratio to get a review or that dose to get a review if you're on fixed doses. Um, it's really interesting you say about different times of the day because that's you know it took a few years for me to realize that um that my insulin requirements in the morning were very different to my insulin requirements in the evening and just something as simple as realizing that you know really really helped with my control because i was like oh okay so just because it's just because it's about at 8 a.m doesn't mean it's about at 8 p.m and that was just something that i gradually worked out you know yeah I had, I had a, not an argument, but we had a difference of opinion with someone once who was convinced that an apple had a different amount of carbohydrate in it in the morning. Than the <laughs> and he, he, he didn't, he wouldn't have it that his body was responding was to the apple differently. Yeah. He was convinced that the amount of carbohydrate was different. So we had to agree to differ on that one because the end result was the same. You maybe know, we treated it differently. But the, the food doesn't change. But <laughs> maybe the apple was still growing. Maybe yeah. it was right. Out of interest, do you tend to need more insulin in the morning or more in the evening? I tend to need... Uh, uh, do you know what? Recently, it's evened out more, but I did tend to need more in the morning. Mm. So commonly people will tend to need more insulin in the morning because the hormones that are waking you up make you slightly more insulin resistant. Mm -hmm. So naturally we're all slightly more insulin resistant in the morning. So quite yeah, often I, people will need extra. 
if I don't have breakfast, which is a rarity for me, because, you know, I literally eat with one eye open. (laughs) But if something was to happen and uh, I was to miss breakfast, my blood sugars from can can go from a lovely steady line to suddenly start rocketing up, you know, with with absolutely no food. So I suppose that kind of kind of says it all. Yeah, so that can it can be hormonal. That could also be your glucagon response. If you've gone too long without food and your liver's starting to kick out its supplies, then that can sometimes be over-enthusiastic and send you a bit high. But yeah, a lot of people will need more insulin in the morning for what they're eating. Um, some people do need more in the evening. If, it tends to be if they've got a particularly active job. So people who are up, they eat their breakfast and then they're out being really active. Mm-hmm. Um, had a guy who was a porter at a hospital um, so he was he he biked to work and then he was a porter. So he was on his feet, pushing things, moving things, lifting things all day. Yeah. In the evening, he got home, had his dinner and flopped on the sofa. If you can understand after that busy day. So he needed hardly any insulin for his food during the day because he was just exercising so much. And then in the evening, he had high needs. So that mm. that was more to do with his activity levels. Yeah. But you do see that in some people who are quite active in the daytime and less so in the evening they need more insulin because they haven't got to compensate for the activity mm-hmm. so yeah so thinking about patterns with what's often quite important with diet is patterns with portion sizes patterns with certain foods um patterns with um activity levels and tying the two together um because you do need to account for that with your food side of things is making mm-hmm. sure you adjust for any activity that you've done or you're going to be doing so carbs wise, I'm just aware of the time, already been talking for a while. Don't worry, um, don't <laughs> carbs wise, there's the knowing where the carbs is and the quantity. That's a biggie for managing your blood glucose levels um, and getting that timing right with your insulin. And then the next thing to look at is the glycemic index. So that's literally a measure of how quickly the glucose will appear in your blood after you eat. That's how they measure it. They, they will feed people a food, just a single food, and then they will measure their blood glucose level afterwards and they track how quickly it appears in your bloodstream. It's very simple. So to be honest, anyone with diabetes could work it out for themselves if they've yeah. got a, a Libre or a CGM because you can see that rise yourself. Um, so yeah, so the high glycemic index foods dump the sugar into the glucose into your bloodstream very, very quickly. See, I'm tripping up on my, I'm using old fashioned language. <laughs> the blood glucose in your um, bloodstream very quickly. Lower GI foods will release that glucose much more slowly. And for people with diabetes, that slower release is much more likely to work with the insulin that you're injecting or you've got with the pump so it will give you much steadier blood glucose levels so if you want well-managed blood glucose levels that are steady then choosing low glycemic index foods wherever you can will be helpful there are loads of lists on the internet if you want is that what you're about to ask i'm just going to say yeah where's the best place of yeah so there's loads of lists there's um australia sort of started it all off and they've got the huge databases so you can plug in a single food and it'll tell you what the glycemic index of that food is. Or there's some more simple lists of commonly eaten foods. Um, it's just things like having new potatoes or sweet potatoes instead of mashed or old potatoes, boiled ones. Um, it's things like using sourdough bread instead of white bread. Oh, um, sourdough. Yeah, 
slow release so it's giving you that so there's things like that which will if you make those switches where you can it's not that the high gi food is bad it's not that the low gi food is good but the more often you choose the low gi one the more steady your blood glucose levels Mm -hmm. will be so it just helps to give you that steadier profile without the dips and troughs um so classic example if we think about breakfast higher fiber foods tend to be slower release so two absolute wonders that i see um is rice krispies and cornflakes i have fun with rice krispies and cornflakes so <laughs> someone, someone comes to me with a blood glucose profile and at breakfast it shoots up and then it drops off and they're high profile mid morning yeah yeah and i say what is it you have for breakfast and i'm like it's going to be one of two it's, it's going to be one of two and it's nearly always rice krispies or cornflakes because those are very high gi breakfast cereals there's not much fiber in them starch in them has been processed so it's already kind of been broken down mm-hmm. i mean if you look at a bowl of rice krispies or cornflakes it's already sort of going to mush in the bowl so the amount of digestion your body has to do is minimal yeah um, so your body extracts the glucose very quickly it'll spike you up um your insulin hasn't got time to deal with that it's not really got going yet um, then the insulin gets going but by which time the sugars from the food is already on the way down so then you end up hypo mid-morning mm-hmm. so it's looking for patterns like that if you notice every time you have cornflakes for example you're you high, high and then hypo but every <laughs> yeah. time you have porridge you're okay mm-hmm. then use that information um, and that would link back to the glycemic index mm-hmm. so checking your insulin amount of carbs counting your carbs if you feel happy to do that um and then building in the glycemic index is the next layer after that to get you that more steady control do you suggest weighing your food if you want pinpoint accuracy yes the more specific you are the more precise results you will get Mm -hmm. basically if you're happy to weigh your carbs to calculate them precisely then you are more likely to get accurate results and get the, um, the insulin to carb matched at the best. I wouldn't necessarily suggest that anyone needs to weigh every bit of food forevermore because um, we are creatures of habit. We tend to eat the same things over and over. So, for yeah. example, if you can porridge for breakfast, chances are you pour the same amount of oats into the bowl, you add the same amount of whatever else to it, and that will be the same. So once you've weighed it once or twice, whatever, as long as you are having similar, then the amount of carbs will be the same. So you can, I would say, weigh until you get confident with it, and then you can do it by eye. But I would recommend that you re-weigh maybe once a year or something like that, because <laughs> you you double <laughs> things do creep. And you think, oh, that's still, still you know, it's my portion or yeah. whatever it was. And then gradually it's crept and crept, and you haven't really noticed, or you've changed your brand and it's different, or they've changed the... Um, the ingredients which mm-hmm. they sometimes do um, and things like that do change and you're still going on what you worked out a year ago and there may be some things that change so yeah mm-hmm. I would say weigh on a regular basis but certainly mm-hmm. not every day I'm not expecting anyone to trot off to a restaurant with their scales on yeah. their <laughs> weigh everything out while they're there um, but if you if you're confident in what you do at home mm-hmm. when you are eating out you should be able to make a good estimate yeah so if you, you know if normally you can go that's a little bit more a little bit less than what i'd have exactly to stick with the breakfast example if you're staying away at a hotel and you have some porridge for breakfast you can probably look at it and go that's about the same portion as i'd have at home or it's 
twice as much or half as much, mm -hmm. whatever, or just a little bit more, add on a little bit more and just do it. You won't be as accurate, but it will be a darn sight more accurate than if you just pick a number out of thin air. So, yeah. yeah. So the, the more you count and weigh and the more specific you are, the more accurate your results are likely to be. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone will have their own levels of how much they're willing to commit to the weighing side of things. So estimates are fine. If you can weigh, great. And you make your choice on there as to how much you're willing to do. So we've covered the carbs, protein and fat. That was the other thing I was going to talk mm -hmm. about, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, the glycemic index that I was talking about just now, that is just if you eat a carb food on its own, what will actually affect how much you spike or drop or how steady you stay is the combination of foods as well. So if you eat a high glycemic index food that will spike you, with a low glycemic index food that would give you slow release, what you will see on your blood glucose profile is a combination of the two. So you'll probably see a slightly slower spike than if you'd just eaten the high, the high GI food, and you'll see a slightly drag out longer. quicker, yeah, quicker drop than if you'd just eaten the low GI one. So you mm -hmm. get an average of the two. Fat and protein have a glycemic index of zero as does fiber, so all your colored vegetables. So if you add those into your meal, they will slow down the spike that you get. So for example, mashed potato, like I said, is mm -hmm. high GI, that will give you quite a big spike. If you have just a plate of mash, your blood glucose will spike. Add in a couple of sausages, so you're getting fat and protein, and that will slow it down. Add in some peas, or whatever <laughs> vegetables you like, and that will slow it down again because of the fiber. You'll be adding in a little bit of extra carb from the sausages because they've got bread in and from the peas as well, but the protein and the fat and the fiber would slow it down as well. If you have a plate of mash like that with two little chipolatas and three peas on, they won't have much of an effect. It's a great deal of difference, is it? If you have a bit of mash, say the size of your fist, and you have two or three sausages and a big mound of peas, then the impact of those on slowing down the effect of the mash will be much, much more. Mm -hmm. So food combinations are quite powerful when it comes to trying to manage your blood glucose profile. If you want a steady profile, having meals that are balanced combinations of fats and proteins, vegetables for your fibre, adding fiber in any other way you can. So choosing whole grains and brown versions if you can. So if you're having potatoes, keeping the skins on, all that kind of stuff. Those are all the little tips that will help to keep that level a bit more steady without you necessarily having to go without the mashed potato altogether. If you swapped the mashed potato for new potatoes or for sweet potatoes, then you'd be swapping a high GI for a low GI food and you'd have a much steadier profile, Eat, especially if you're adding in the sausages and the mm -hmm. peas I can't remember what we said the peas as well so yes, you'll get it steadier. was sausage and peas <laughs> yes. obviously if you added in beans which would be the other classic to go with bangers and mash um you'd be adding in some extra starch with the beans and some extra sugar in the sauce but the beans themselves very low gi so again you'd be adding in another low gi thing to mm -hmm. take that profile nice and steady so one question I often get is, can I eat this food? And it's impossible for me to answer because how much are you having and what else are you having it with mm -hmm. makes such a difference to what it's going to do to your blood glucose profile. 
Um, so food combining is really important. However, there's also for fat and protein, have you noticed Charlotte that your blood glucose level can rise after a high fat or a high protein meal or if you just eat fat or protein without? Yes, I can definitely see rises from protein. Definitely. So as you know, we've talked about it before when I used to do the bodybuilding type thing. Um, a lot of my meals were pretty much all the protein um, with a little bit of veg. Um, but often they had you know some of the meals had absolutely no carbs in terms of no rice no you know no starchy carbs um but if i had a large amount of protein i would still need to inject for that there was no real science to me injecting for that it would be i'll give it a couple of units because i know it's gonna arise (laughs) and that's that's where the science is catching up um (laughs) with what you already know and i'm sure lots of the audience have already noticed um, because now that we've got CGM and Libra, we are learning so much more than yeah, when we were yeah. stuck with just finger pricks. And when we've now we've got insulin that that's like pumps, that's that bit more reactive as well. We're learning so much more. So um, we now do know for sure that high protein meals and high fat meals do need extra insulin. So it's not just the carbs. However, we are talking high protein and high fat. So not the couple of sausages we were just talking about yeah, in that meal, yeah. probably. I'm, I'm um, talking about like free chicken breasts on a plate. Yeah, or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, could do, I mean, like a fish and chips from a chippy will be very high fat. So that's something you'd probably need. To oh, yeah. Um, so first of all, you've got the fact that those very high and very, um, very high fat and very high protein meals will be very low GI, like what we were just talking mm-hmm. about. The amount of fat and protein in those meals slows down the carbohydrate appearing as glucose in your bloodstream a lot. So that puts it slightly out of sync with most rapid insulins because it will be releasing its glucose much more slowly than the insulin is expecting. So what you typically see then is a hypo, maybe an hour, hour and a half after you've eaten when your insulin's at its maximum activity, expecting all the glucose to be appearing, but the food's not got there yet. So you'd see a hypo a couple, an hour, like I said, an hour and a half, two hours after you've eaten. Um, and then you'll see a high later on when the insulin's done, done its work and it's so finished, the food's still being digested. Yeah. Exactly. So if you ever see that pattern of a drop and then a pickup, have a think, was it a high pat, high high fat, high protein meal, um, high, a very high fiber meal would do the same, but you don't get much of that in this country. <laughs> we don't eat enough fiber, the high fat is much more common. Um, so if you see that pattern, that can be why. Um, and if you, once you know that that's what happens, so if you know when you eat fish and chips and you eat fish and chips drop, that's what happens. Now you know why it happens, we can do something about it. So you would work at splitting your insulin up Mm-hmm. so that your insulin works over a longer period rather than all working so if you're on a pump it would be through a you know square wave or something like that um to slow it down so we can do things so if you notice patterns you can work on it yourself or you can contact someone like me and we'll work through with it and work out what that means so yeah so the high fat and high protein will slow the rate at which your blood glucose level will rise which can put it out of sync with the insulin but we can do some things for that and then the other thing is yeah actually further down the digestion so for carbs it's straightforward basically the carb starch gets digested into blood glucose and any sugar you eat gets digested into blood glucose it's a simple simple step mm-hmm. for proteins and fats the digestion is more complex but you do get the end result of some blood glucose out of fat 
um, protein. Renew it. Renew it. <laughs> it's not as much, which is why it doesn't affect your blood glucose levels as much, and which is why you don't need to account for it when it's in low levels. But if you are having, you know, for people who've gone keto, for example, and they've cut out carbohydrates altogether, or just you have a low carbohydrate meal because you don't fancy it or whatever. Or your cupboards are empty because it's a lockdown and you yeah. <laughs> delivery's not coming, um, then you will potentially see a blood glucose rise. We don't have as much experience with fat and protein yet, so we haven't quite got the science down, but there is some guidance now um, getting out there for how much to adjust your insulin by. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, if you've been playing around with it, you've probably got a good, as good idea. You've probably already worked that out for yourself, how much is enough and how much to take. And yeah, usually it is needed over slightly longer term than if you're just dosing for the carbs. Um, so that's something else to look out for as well. Something I was going to say. <laughs> so one of my treats of choice is Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm. And my brain figures because of the fat <laughs> in the peanut butter, it actually works quite well. <laughs> Well, although it's high sugar, the fat seems to be enough to not cause a big spike. So, I mean, that's why we don't advise people to use chocolate to treat a hypo. Yeah, it's not that quick. (laughs) Chocolate's got a lot of fat in it. Chocolate's, although people think of it as a sweet, it's not pure sugar. It's got a lot of fat in it and the fat does slow it down. And yeah, add in some slightly healthier peanuts. (laughs) Don't, don't ruin my illusion. Stretching that a little way, are we? Um, <laughs> but yeah, ex- you're exactly right. That the, the fat combo, if you were eating pure sugar sweets, your blood sugar level would spike. You add in the fat and it slows it down. But just as a caveat, that does bring it back to the healthy balance message. I'm yes, not suggesting yes. that I did because so it's a slower profile. <laughs> Chocolate or Reese's Pieces are a good thing to have because there is no good thing. Um, it's about finding that balance. So yeah, exactly right. Adding in the fat in with the chocolate makes it much slower and less likely to cause your blood glucose level to spike as long as you get winning treat winning treat (laughs) or if you want something sugary you just combine it with a meal that's got fat and protein and fiber in it as well Mm -hmm. depends how you want to roll with your diet and that's the important thing as well is that everyone's got to be slightly individual I told you I could talk for half an hour easily, right. this and diet, didn't I? <laughs> really good stuff. Has, yeah, has that covered what you think guys were asking for on the survey you did? Is that yes, I would hope so. I mean, we can get some feedback and we can, I think, maybe make this into a series of episodes. Oh, we like that. We like that. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I'm sure there will, there will be more questions. So I think at, that's an excellent start um yeah i'm sure people have learned lots from that already uh but yeah get some feedback if people can send their questions in and then we can we can put it into another episode do a q a session we? we can do a q a oh oh look all the ideas are coming out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah absolutely that, um, fact, yeah, i hope that's just kind of given a bit of an overview and pointed some people in the direction they might want to either ask us for some more information or get away and google it or talk to their healthcare team or something like that obviously you just be careful with google make sure it's reputable <laughs> <laughs> Well, someone does something crazy. 
but yeah hopefully that's just kind of given a few pointers that maybe people haven't thought of or haven't thought of for a while and yeah information out there so it's worth getting an update I, I think it's that as well there's all this stuff that you learn early on um but you can easily it's not even that you forget but you can get a bit fixated sometimes on oh well, it's got to be to do with my ratio or it's got to be to do with this and actually you know the things you've just covered it's like oh yeah there's all that stuff <laughs> there's all that stuff to think about as well or um but no really really helpful so thank you very much um and yeah give your feedback send me some questions and we will pop it all in some more episodes because as you can see Izzy gets very excited about talking about nutrition which <laughs> this is why she's doing what she's doing I'm really sad now Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty well out no it's good to be enthusiastic <laughs> i i get like it talking about food but in a whole different way <laughs> okay well thank you so much and uh, yes and you and i speak to you again very soon yeah bye bye I love talking to Izzy about nutrition. You can tell that it's it's her thing and that she's um, really passionate about it. So I really hope everyone enjoyed that. Lots of really useful information there. So massive thank you to Izzy as always. Quick reminder about social media. If you are not already involved with Diabetic and Healthy on social media, please, please do get involved. We've got a Facebook group and then there's two, uh, sorry, we've got a Facebook page and then there's two Facebook groups. So there's Diabetic and Healthy Community and there's also Type 1 Fit. There's Diabetic and Healthy on Instagram, which is diabetic underscore and underscore healthy. And of course, there's this podcast. So if you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so. And it means you will never miss a future show. So thank you so much for listening as always. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a healthy and happy life continues. Head on over to diabeticandhealthy.com and join the conversation with other diabetics and their families. All the information in this episode is not designed to replace the advice from the health professional team looking after you and your diabetes. Before making any significant lifestyle changes, do consult them with your doctor.